Good afternoon and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make New Haven tick. It's a Headlines and Baselines Day here at Dateline. We read some of the headlines from the local news from the New Haven Independent. We run them down a bit. Then we play a music sometimes inspired by the headlines. I was inspired this week. I went to the mayoral debate. There's a mayoral's race this year, sort of, in New Haven. It's not that seriously contested. General elections aren't always that contested, but there are candidates. The Democracy Fund and the New Haven Independent held a debate at the Schubert, which is a great place. I love going to Schubert. And Tom Breen, the editor of the Independent, moderated the debate very well, along with Basil Alzavi and Norma Rodriguez-Reyes from our family here with Las, Los, La Voz Hispana in our city, WNHH, and they... They um, spoke with Justin Ellick, who's the mayor, running pretty easily for a third term, 30-year term. Be sure I got the math right, 19, 21, 23. Tom Goldenberg is the Republican because he couldn't get in the Democratic ballot. And um, he's not going too far this campaign, but he did wear a suit. And he at least talked like someone who's running for mayor. Then there is Wendy Hamilton, who's sort of, you know, a gaffly gets on the ballot, gets signatures, doesn't really run a campaign campaign, but or some comic relief at these... Uh, Debates, some some way out stuff, and some stuff that's you know very interesting and sometimes funny. But you know what inspired me at the debate? It was one it was less than a minute of the debate. The high point for me was when Ham- Wendy Hamilton, the petition candidate, started describing all the apartments going up in her neighborhood, the luxury apartments, Wooster Square downtown, the edge of the hill by the medical school, and she had prepared that statement. There weren't always verbs in it. They weren't sentences. They were poetic. When you go to a debate, sometimes the candidates will work really hard, like at the national level, to do one line that they think is going to inspire you. Yes, we can. Or where's the beef? When uh, Gary Hart was on against Walter Mondale and he was acting like his new ideas didn't have much. He took a Wendy's ad. But our Wendy, Wendy Hamilton, I just stopped and started really paying attention when she and then I looked up what the words were for how she described all the luxury apartments we debate them in terms of whether we need inclusionary zoning rules that set aside certain amounts of apartments for people who can't afford them whether this increases the tax base for everybody and leaves room for other rents not to go up or whether they cascade the, the rental market by having all these other rents go up because wealthier people are coming in is all those debates are there but I felt when Wendy Hamilton was talking about when she walks to her neighborhood in downtown and by the train station, this is what she sees, ready? These are how she put it. Tyvek Towers, City Crossing, Double Crossing, Cardboard Carhartt, Plywood Plaza, Dog Park Palace. Have you toured any of these buildings? Well, I have. A lot of them are half empty because nobody can afford those stupid rents. Wendy Hamilton, you contributed poetry in my view to New Haven's political debate. And it reminded me of the song that landed Suzanne Vega on the map. I think it was when her first album came out in the mid-80s. And again, it was the way she described the crack. Like the, Wendy was talking about cracks in the fissures of our society coming up through the pavement. And Suzanne Val- Vega did two with a song called Cracking, which we're gonna listen to right now from her initial release, Suzanne Vega in 85. Cracking from Suzanne Vega.
a one-time thing. It just happens a lot. Walk with me. Cracking brittle branches in the air. Something's cracking. Suzanne Vega cracking from her eponymous debut release in 1985. Suzanne Vega here on WNHHFM's Dateline New Haven. We're doing headlines and baselines. The latest stories from the New Haven Independent. And uh, some tunes, including local tunes by Gritz King. He's a musician in New Haven. Jazz musician. He's on in the background with Saving Time. So, one of the headlines was, do party lines matter? This debate with the three candidates for mayor, hosted by the New Haven Independent for the Democracy Fund. This week, mayor's race, Mayor Justin Ellicker, Democrat, cruising to a third two-year term against Tom Goldenberg, Republican, and petition candidate Wendy Hamilton. And I mean it by cruising. Because one way I noticed that debate this week, that the mayor is cruising. Not only there aren't, is he not face an opponent who really has a team of people who aren't being paid, who go out and really care about the campaign and pose a threat to him of any kind of organized opposition? He's cruising in the sense that he's not being challenged on ways that he, like anybody who ever holds office, has either made mistakes or needed a course correction or has taken actions that not everybody agrees with. And it's worth hearing what they have to say, whether or not he agrees with changing course. Mayors in New Haven have benefited big time from Elections when they did have to confront tough questions from people who could bring it to them. And the opponents couldn't bring it to them because they didn't really know what they were talking about. Let's just be honest, okay? They are just uh, trying to come up with ways to get attention to run for office, but they weren't really 
pressing him to know enough about what he was doing that they could challenge. I'll give you a deal, an example. The Yale deal came up where Yale agreed for like six years they're going to pay a little more in um, annual voluntary contributions in, in, uh, to the city as a tiny, tiny fraction of the taxes they would pay if they didn't have their outdated property tax exemptions and uh, you know, a fraction of their $40-plus billion endowment. So in general, you know, Wendy said, well, that's terrible. They should pay more money. And, but in truth, the terms of the deal were really questionable because Yale's only doing it for a bunch of years, and they struck this deal as part of the larger deal that really counted and was good with the Yale unions about their pay increases. The Yale unions had a show in return for the support they get from people in the broader community that delivered something for the broader community, which was Yale upping its contributions. Yale, Yale didn't even put out a press release, really, or go to the national media the way it has in the past with town gown deals to call attention to it because they knew they weren't really given much. It was chump change. And more importantly, Yale took Ellicott to the cleaners in negotiating. They they only have to pay, they pay this added amount for only six years. But they got, they basically bought a street. Ellicott was saying they didn't technically buy a street because he set it up in a way where New Haven continues to own a block, another block of high street between Chapel and Elm, but Yale really will control the street for 99 years, okay? So this was not an even deal. This is people who didn't know how to negotiate with someone who had a lot more negotiating power, even though when Ellicott was elected, supposedly what New Haven was getting for someone who might not have vision or experience or connection to community, at least went to Yale School and Management, went to business school and knew how to manage and have strategy. Well, that kind of blows that one out of there, but he wasn't really pushing that. He wasn't pressed on assessments. People said, well, our taxes too high. People always say that, okay? But they didn't really press him on the way he assesses property, which is a scandal. He's stealing money, basically, legally, from working-class people and middle-class homeowners and giving it to slumlords and luxury developers for out of town. He's doing that because the way they choose, not by law, the way he chooses to assess property in town. In a way that every year, tens of millions of dollars in assessed value go out the window for these luxury developers and out-of-town investors and slumlords. They buy these properties... And they're paying tens of millions of dollars less. They're paying taxes at, a, at the value property being valued at tens of millions of dollars less than they actually are worth. Because when they sell these properties and flip and make a lot of money, people buy the properties, pay them a lot more money than New Haven says those properties are worth when they tax them. They get taxed differently from you and me and people either buy homes or indirectly pay the taxes through rents to people who own the homes. When you buy and sell a home, that kind of tells you what that's worth, right? So when the city taxes, sets up what your property's worth to tax you, they do it based on how many similar properties are sold. But they don't do that for the big investors. They have this complicated income formula saying what it's worth. And a lot of cities do that. That's become the norm because regulatory capture assessors are kind of influenced by the real estate industry. So they come with this formula that lets them cheat us and steal the money of the people who live here. Now, the mayor, because he's not a person of vision or courage, says, well, nobody else is doing that. I know it does it differently, so I'm just going to keep doing it that way. And no one pressed him on that because they didn't know the fine points. They didn't press him when he said, hey, look what I did about slumlords. I set up a new law that said if you're a landlord in town and an LLC, limited liability corporation, we need to know who the human being is. It's a really good law. You have to give us a name and a phone number someone we can call if something's not good. So it's great he set it up, but it was so many other things that the elect administration, once the press conference was over, when it came time to manage and follow through, which he supposedly learned at a business school, at a management school, he never, he never actually checked to see if it's working. And when a reporter did the appendix check, it turns out the people you need to sign up don't. 
or they don't even call those people and catch up with the people who need to be inspected. LCI is broken. Or when he strikes a deal in such sloppy, you know, good intentions, but in a way that, that screws the taxpayer again on Dixwell Avenue, where there were a whole bunch of properties owned by the city's biggest slumlord. The city's always tracking them down, trying to find them, get them to keep up their properties. They were taking a property off their hand because they said, there's a property that's important. We want to do something with them. And again, was going to pay them a lot more in the property than they claimed the property was worth when they taxed them. They're going to use city money to buy it. And sending the signal that if you're a slumlord, just sit in your property, let it run down, the city will come rescue you and pay you more money than they were taxing you at for the property. Not only was it a terrible idea that none of Elliker's opponents this year understood to press him on, the deal hasn't even gone through many months later because there were all these problems with liens the city had property and never on the property and never connect collected. If I was someone who wanted to come into a city and rape the real estate market, take advantage of tenants, steal money from them through different assessments, I would love a mayor like Mr. Elliker because he wouldn't get in my face and try to stop me from doing it. He just wouldn't even know what he's doing. I'll just run circles around him. But his, in this debate showed he's not really impressed on that. He wasn't impressed on how he criticized Tom Goldenberg for being part of the Republican Party, and it was justified. He said, if you want to be called a Republican, you own what's happened to the Republican Party and January 6th and Donald Trump and not respect for the Constitution. But no one pressed Elliker about how about here in New Haven? What's different between that and the way you ignored the charter, which is our Constitution? You nominated someone for police chief. The city didn't want him. It would have been a huge mistake. It got voted down by the Board of Alders. Under the charter, they have to approve it the way Congress has to approve nominees. And Elliker said after that, well, I'm just keeping them anyway because they voted. I didn't like it. That was wrong. And he went to court and used city money to try to convince a judge that the charter, when it says his appointees have to be approved by the Board of Alders, don't really have to be approved. He's saying, if they vote no, but I submitted the name, that's good enough. I didn't keep him there forever. The judge said, that's ridiculous. So he couldn't do it anymore. But to this day, he never says that's wrong on principle. He's saying, well, I lost, so I won't do it again. But he doesn't say that he thinks he should start obeying separation of power and the Constitution. So no one presses him on that. No one presses him on a police contract at a time when it's hard to find police officers. When it's, it's been, you know, more than, a, more than a year trying to get that thing passed. So Bob Dylan said it best in his Oh Mercy album of... Uh, 19, what was O Mercy, 1989? As Dylan says in this song, we live in a political world.
We live in a political world where mercy walks the plank. That's Bob Dylan from Oh Mercy. And uh, here on Dateline, New Haven headlines and baselines. Stories from the New Haven Independent, little commentary and music inspired by it, including uh, Grits King's Saving Time in the background here. Um, another headline this week was Three Pastors Blast Safe Injection Sites. Hmm. That was the headline, but it's quickly being clear in Tom Breen's article from the first sentence. This was really a setup event for Tom Goldenberg's mayoral campaign, a campaign going nowhere. A candidate flailing can't connect with the city he doesn't really understand, so he tries to come up with any issue that'll get him attention, and he doesn't care who gets trampled in the process. So he's trying to appeal to the basest prejudices and fears of his voters rather than trying to appeal to people, the same people's compassion and dreams and hopes. He's trying to stop the city from even talking about a safe injection site where you get a place, you know, we have a fentanyl crisis, overdose crisis, people even losing their lives. And what a number of cities have done is set up these safe injection sites. They find a place where the addicts can go off the street, bring their drugs and shoot up. Right there are people who can give them help. Now, a lot of people don't want the help. They want to just get high. But if they need the help or if they overdose, they might die. There's someone there who can save their life and they want, if they want that help, steer them. And the neighborhoods also where the people are on the street, you know, where we are in New Haven, a lot of places, a lot of cities across the country, don't have to deal with the shooting up or the um, otherwise ways of injecting fentanyl and heroin and other opioids right in their midst. Now, even though there's been shown in other places to work, it's easy to get people scared about it, so it's hard to talk about it. So it takes someone running for candidate who has a bankrupt agenda, a bankrupt campaign, not in terms of money, because he has a lot of rich friends from other cities who give him money, but in terms of ideas and support and connection, to do what George Wallace did in the South, to do what in 68, to, do, to, to just appeal to prejudices, even if that means making it harder for society to deal with an issue. So Goldberg keeps saying, look what Elliker's doing. He has a secret plan to bring a safe injection and bring all these junkies to your neighborhood and make it worse. Which if you scare people, that's going to think, rather than saying the people who are right there in the neighborhood now are going to have a safer place where maybe they won't die, maybe they get help, and maybe you won't have them right in your face on the street. It's hard to have that conversation when... or would-be politicians go and they were resort to that. So luckily the election will be over at some point and we can move ahead with continuous plan. Elliker's always been open that he likes the idea, always been open he doesn't have a specific plan yet, always been open, let's talk about it and see if we can bring people along. In the meantime, John Prine has a song that maybe could appeal to Tom Goldenberg about rather than just looking at a prize you're never going to get and stomping all over the city in the process of bringing out people's fears and stopping us from dealing with our more pressing challenges, maybe he could stop and take a look at people's heart.
Take a look at my heart, John Prine, from one of his uh, later career fun albums, The Missing Years, dedicated to Tom Goldenberg, wondering if one day he might look into the heart and the eyes of the people he's using as props who are struggling with addiction, who, along with their neighbors, would benefit from a safe ejection site where they could be off the street, get help, not overdose to death, and where neighbors can get some relief, but instead running a hopeless campaign that's going nowhere. A politician thinks he can prop it up by appealing to people's worst fears, worst prejudices, and try to shut down discussion of it just to get a little more attention, two more percentage points of the 20 he might get. And um, maybe one day afterwards he'll look into someone's heart, look into someone's eyes and say, "Maybe, maybe that wasn't the most constructive way to spend my days on earth as I go for prize I can't get. This is the Headlines and Baseline Edition, Dateline New Haven and WNHH FM, where we play some music, including local music, like we offer some experience here, and headlines from the New Haven Independent. There was a headline this week that said, Parks Lifer Campaigns Against New Charter. 
by Nora Grace Flood is a really fun story to read. That also Matt David Blowski's been on the city play on the Parks Commission. That's a volunteer job. You know, other ones citizens serve on commissions and give of their time with these long meetings to make decisions we need to make. He's done it since I think about 1830. I might have my year wrong. We're now in 2023, I think. He's been there forever. It turns out he has a lifetime appointment. We don't do that for other boards and commissions. But um, sort of like with Leonid Brezhnev in the Soviet Union, even though that wasn't official, you know, certain people get lifetime. You know, you're dictator for life, whatever. <clears throat> so Dave Belowski, one of the citizens, gives a lot of credit for giving their time to boards and commissions. He likes having a lifetime commission, uh, appointment along with two others, a self-perpetuating um, board. Of course, in a democracy, um, that's not the kind of thing we like. So as part of once every 10 years, we have a charter revision referendum. We come up with a bunch of ideas to update our charter, which is like our constitution, that document that the mayor thinks he's not bound by, even as he criticized Republicans for not abiding by the constitution, but it matters. So this year at the, at the election, November election, we're going to be able to vote up or down on a charter revision. So Belowski became the first person to really take a stand on the charter because most people don't pay attention to it. They don't know much about it. And he signs up, vote down the charter. He doesn't say why, because there are a lot of stuff in the charter. Four-year terms for the mayor, which he actually likes. Four-year terms for the Board of Alders. Um, cleaning up some language to update it in the city's charter for how boards and commissions work. And among that, it wouldn't end lifetime appointments like Belaski's, but it would allow the Board of Alders to decide whether to end those lifetime appointments rather than have come up as part of changing our charter like changing a constitution the board alders are already signaled they're not going to get rid of Belowski's personal sinecure they're going to say moving forward we won't have any more but he's still scared that he might at 74 years old lose that lifetime appointment so he's trying to get everyone to vote against it which i think is going to succeed and uh i'm not sure that if people knew the reason there they might not agree with them but people love to vote no these days especially anything involving government the Republican Party's ordered a lot of his signs, the nice signs. They have other reasons they don't want Alders that mayor to have four-year terms. So we're watching a rerun here. It's Groundhog Day with our once-in-every-ten-years charter revisions this year. Because we have sneaky Alders who set up this referendum, who don't trust people and think they can just somehow, in ways that I think are self-defeating, make themselves more powerful, which I think they're actually not going to do with this they think they could sneak changes by the public. They think we're stupid, basically. This is the you're stupid referendum. Like, the question just says, do you approve of the changes to the charter? And they put all the changes they have from the kind of language, the gender in there, to how commissions work, to four-year terms for mayor, to, to four-year terms for alder, right, raise, which the alders deserve. Um, they think if they just put it in there and not tell you what you're voting on, that you'll vote yes and get stuff you might not really want. Now, obviously, people who like certain parts of what's being proposed would rather they told you we're voting for and let you vote yes on some and no for others. For instance, some people think we do need a four-year term for mayor so that you can make long-range decisions without just running for re-election every time and you know have a chance to let ideas get through the way that the governor and the president serve for four years. But the alders said, well, if we're going to do that, we need to make sure we, the alders, get to serve for four years, too, because they think that's giving up their power. Because they define their power with being able to run free election with no opponents, which they all get to do anyway, almost all the time. Rather than how do they use their power as a check on government to make sure we get better laws. Instead, they want this, what they see as a power grab, is actually doesn't make them more powerful because there are 30 alders 
So if, like these days, they don't really take the lead on major issues, they don't really hold the mayor's feet to the fire as another branch of government enough, although they did with the police chief, which was important. Rather than do that hard work, they think they're easily going to make themselves more important. Alders was somehow more powerful just by getting four-year terms. But, of course, the public will never go for that. So that's going to kill it. And almost every time in the last 40, 50 years we've done charter revision, it always gets killed for that reason. They put all the questions together. They don't tell you what's on it. And then people who have a reason not to like one part or another unite to kill it. This happened, for instance, uh, 20 years ago when firefighters didn't like one proposal about living out of town or for the city. And a power broker named Wendell Harp didn't like another part. So they united, even though not use allies, just to kill it because people for it aren't motivated. So that's going to happen again because they thought they could pass a you are stupid referendum. Now, there was one exception. Ten years ago, Charter Vision did pass. The Board of Alders had a new majority, a labor-backed majority that had just taken power in 2011. They then did the hard organizing work to be involved in elections for ward shares of the Democratic Party, something no one pays attention to. But they said, we have an agenda for, like, bring back community policing to um, have more oversight of the executive branch. And they had a bunch of proposals. And then they elected ward chairs who can then get things passed and get voters to the polls and have a program, old-fashioned political organizing with an agenda that mattered and inspiring people. And because of that, they were able to pass Charter Vision in a way that did give the alders more power in a positive way for the city. They passed changes that let them have to approve more top aides. So if, the, for instance, a mayor gets elected who doesn't understand the city and wants to put the Proud Boys in charge of the police department, they can stop it, which they did. But now, since those last 10 years, despite what you read in the New Yorker this week, they actually haven't pursued an agenda. They haven't really come up with local laws they want to pass and pass them. And they haven't had, they haven't done that same kind of level of organizing, so they actually can't just elect people as the most power in town. They still matter because they do work on elections. But for instance, their candidate for Mayor in 2019, they couldn't elect her even though she was an incumbent because their power has waned. Because they think it's more important to feel like self-important people in the back room, not telling people what they're doing, and then giving themselves four-year terms, even if that's going to sink the whole charter vision, rather than having a concrete agenda based on issues that they can pass with a team through political organizing at the ward level and ward committees to inspire people and get them involved. Rant is over. But Marine Knight, the late great gospel crossover uh, singer and um, R&B singer did on her album Let Us Get Together had a song that maybe people who have lifetime appointments to city boards and commissions could heed in my opinion it's called You Gotta Move Lord I feel like going on I feel like going on. I don't come this far, and I don't find no fault. Lord, I feel like going on. Lord, I feel like going on.
light going on Shining on my way Every day, every day Lord, I feel light going on I feel light going on You may run, you won't get caught. When the Lord is ready, you got to move. 
<laughs> That's Murphy Knight. Put that on for uh, in honor of the lifers on city boards of commission. Not too many. We're fighting a charter revision so that they have to leave, step down before the year 2090 on city boards of commissions. And uh, here on headlines, baselines in New Haven, local community radio station WNHHFM. We're reading local headlines, playing music that goes with it. And that song, You Gotta Move, you can, you may run, you may hide, but when the Lord gets ready, you gotta move. Could also have to do with the next headline I wanted to discuss from the New Haven Independent. Alder, comma, cops sued over hit and run by Laura Glesby. She's been doing a great job on the, one of those scandals that unfold drip by drip. You kind of know from the beginning something doesn't feel right, but people in power are covering up, and little by little, the truth starts coming out. This is someone who tried to run and hide. But he's got to move. Sal DeCola, he's an alder on the East Shore, Ward 18, Democrat. And he thought he could just hit someone with his car, leave, and not do anything about it. He, he, he uh, made major damage to a parked car and left the scene in his own district where he supposedly resents people. And he's, eventually it was found out, and the police didn't even write a report about it. His buddy who runs the local police district, who's had his own problems with questionable illegal activity in the past and yes it's on the record illegal activity and lying um so at first this kind of was kept quiet for a while then it was election year so stuff comes out and now police are investigating and the drip drip in the latest one there's a lawsuit being filed against how the police handled it and Nicola for leaving and in the lawsuit it turned out they discovered that the phone logs didn't match up at the police department with what was being said originally in the original cover story by the alder and this is what always happens the lying makes it worse right so the police department and the alder said well we call you know the alder came home as though it's okay to hit and run an accident he said it's because he has cancer which has nothing to do with why you'd have to be driving hit a car and hit and run of course we're very sad he has cancer and hope he does better but he's an alder he's responsible for the law he makes laws and he's responsible he's a public figure responsible his constituents and here he wrecks you know wrecks a person's car and leaves and doesn't take responsibility they said well you know very quickly he called the the top cop this guy brian mcdermott was in his district and let the police know well it turned out he waited four days to call he shouldn't have left in the first place that's illegal but then he didn't call it's even clear how it came about the call came about someone found out it was he so he had to deal with it right four days that's the latest revelation of the drip drip and i just have a feeling there's gonna be more Trip, trip. Uh, can't have a headlines of baselines without a song from Kristen Ford. Here's one of her more recent numbers. Song from her album "War in the Living Room," called "Gray Sky Blue." Shadow of 
want lightning in a bottle. That's Gray Skies Blue from Kristen Ford on WNHH's Dateline New Haven. We're doing headlines and baselines, music and headlines from the New Haven Independent. A little commentary and seeing where it takes us. One, I think the biggest story in the, in the Independent this week, the headline was six tiny houses built in Hill Backyard. Now, that might sound like a small headline. It's a fact. Maybe the most important headline in the country right now are among them, which is that what are we going to do with these growing for these growing homeless populations? There are a lot of solutions out there that we work toward that more needs to be done. People have supportive housing. People have homeless shelters in the meantime, help straighten out their lives, whatever the issues underlying the homelessness. Some of which is just rents too high, but other guys. But there are people who don't want to go to the shelters, people who don't want to go to supportive housing for whatever reasons, and they camp out. And that causes problems as we see the tent encampments where it might not be safe for them and for other people. And right now, the country's struggling with this. There was an article in the Times about all these churches are making their lots open for people living in their cars, even when a lot of them have jobs, making more money than most of us. And they still, for whatever reasons, in certain parts of the country, can't afford the rent. And uh, so Mark Colville is somebody at the Catholic Workers' House in on Rosette Street in the Hill. He's always trying to just take action for the people to help themselves as a community do something about it. They had the tent encampments. Those got taken down in his yard at the Catholic Workers' House Street. He had the tent city up there, and now it's going to get colder. It's going to be a, it's going to be a hard winter, even though they think it's not going to be as cold a winter as others. It's still going to be freezing, right? And or even near freezing, people could die. And, you know, short of death, it's pretty miserable. So tiny houses are a movement anyway for other reasons in the country. He raised money. Way to go, Markoville. He raised the money to help the people who are living in these tent cities. He told people that's what it's for. He told them the truth. He went to Guilford. Readers helped him. And then he bought in six tiny houses, 64 square feet in some cases for one person, 100 square feet for others, and put them in his backyard for a bunch of people living there. Now, as usual, stuff's controversial because we do have building codes. You didn't go through that, right? So you have to make sure people don't die in these things or it doesn't cause a hazard. So that's going to be an issue. And sometimes I think when he takes action, it's sometimes for the ability to draw attention to an issue, which is fine, but not also seeing it from the part of how the city, which we do have a city government right now who does care about homeless people, needs to be pushed and affordable housing needs to be pushed as anybody needs to be pushed, but they're not the enemy on this, right? But in this case, actions just need to be taken, I think. And my hat's off to him. Uh, we had a commenter in the Independent Urban Carpenter who said the following, which speaks for me. Quote, while this is not a perfect solution, I think anyone who offers criticism without offering an alternate solution should rethink their understanding of humanity. Colville has taken decisive action to help people. Most of us have not. For that, we owe him respect and gratitude. You know, comment sections can be a noisy place sometimes. And sometimes somebody just hits it. That appeals to the angels within us or the quiet part of our brain that kind of makes sense and isn't just clouded by other passions. And they did it there. Another headline was um, recycling talk sorts through the confusion. That's actually another big issue of the country. We can't even send our recycling to China anymore. They won't take it. That's we take all our recycled trash. You know, you put your stuff in the blue bin. Partly because we don't really sort it well. So it wasn't good enough. And they it cost them too much money to try to separate it. So now we get less money for it in other thorough markets. We get it all. Some of that trash just, you know, you think you're recycling and helping the planet. It it uh, ends up just on streets in poorer nations, third world nations. 
are trash. You know, when I read that, I still think it's important to do recycling. This article by Brian Slattery was about a recycling expert came to the, to the library and told people what you can and can't put in that blue box so we could do better. Yes, you could put soup stock cardboard containers. No, you can't put ice cream containers. Yes, you could put pizza boxes. No, you can't. Well, I think you can do can't do paper plates. Let me, let me uh, look. No, you can't do paper plates. While this is important, recycling is so important, even more important, it doesn't get talked about as much as reusing and reducing our waste. I'm a big fan of composting. That takes a big chunk of waste out of the stream and it reuses it so you can grow, a new, grow new food, the kind of virtuous cycle. Not only does it add to the garbage problem and to environmental problems when you burn or whatever you do with the trash, you don't have the trash. You just have new food and new life. And also just reducing how much trash we use in the first place. I don't want to get in a high horse about that. I'm no better anybody else. I order from Amazon and get the boxes and I bust, buy a lot of packed stuff, although I do like to buy stuff in bulk in my little way. So it's not, a, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm just saying that reusing and reducing does seem to be the root of it. But in the meantime, a lot, we do have to throw out a lot of stuff. And Bob Dylan knew about that. On that same album we were playing from Oh Mercy, I'd like to play another track in honor of that, which is literally what sometimes happens in our home with all our trash. And figuratively, <laughs> the way the world seems sometimes, this is Everything is Broken.
Broken treaties, breaking broken laws. Everything is broken, but not everything. Our hearts aren't broken yet, but sometimes they get pushed to the edge. Thank you for joining me today. Headlines and baselines on New Haven, WNHHFM State Line, New Haven. Thanks to Harry Dross, who gets us in all corners of the multiverse as the producer on these programs. Our hearts, of course, go out to the victims of the latest massacre in our country taking place in Maine, Lewiston, Maine. Our hearts are going out every day to the thousands of people dying in Palestine and being attacked and killed in Israel. And it's tough to hold on to our humanity, but we there's no better alternative. I'm so sad to see the way it's been hard for some of so many of us to see the humanity in some people but not others especially in the conflict of the Middle East. We're all human. We all deserve to live and have a good life. We're going to take it out with I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the Afro-Semitic experience from their album A Plea for Peace. We're sending out that plea for peace. It's Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day, all night, and all weekend long at WNHH New Haven's home for community radio. Mm-hmm.